Well, Wayne, thank you for your prayer this morning. Yes. Your prophetic prayer. Thank you. So now you should know what I'm talking about if you listen to Wayne's prayer. Um, so, how are you all doing this morning? Hmm. Really peppy, I see. <laughs> Bill asked me Wednesday, um, he said, are, are you going to talk about something that you know things about or the things that you've read about? <laughs> Let's just say, I don't know that I'll walk in the full truth of what we're talking about today, Um, but uh, it's been a a real productive week as far as studying God's Word for me, and I hope this morning will be for you all as well. Um, It's kind of interesting that we sung about and proclaimed, wonderful are your ways, oh, so are we, were we full on that His ways are wonderful? And so we want to be like Moses. Moses knew God's ways, and the people knew what? His his acts. So much better to know his ways, isn't it? And yet he, uh, I think it's in Isaiah, it says um, that God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And yet his heart is that our ways would be like his way. And so... This morning I'm going to give a little bit of background um, just so you can kind of understand how this particular theme of the Bible sits um, sits underneath uh, really the message of the Bible, which is a promise. God gave a promise. Um, it was the overarching promise of the Old Covenant, and it's the overarching promise of the New Covenant. And um, that promise was, I will be your God. And you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. That was his heart for the old covenant, and that's his heart for us today. Uh, A couple scriptures. I'm going to be reading a lot of scriptures, so um, hopefully it will begin to take root in all our hearts. Um, The first one is Exodus 29. 45, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. There you go. There's part of the promise. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Exodus 6, 7. I will take for you, I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of of the Egyptians. Um, so in this promise, which was first given to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, which we all know and have heard so many times that a lot of times we just miss everything that's there. But there's kind of three elements that are in this promise. Let me read it to you again for the first time. Okay? Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and your name will be great 
And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In there are three things. There's a promise of a seed, descendants. There's a promise of an inheritance, a land. And there's a promise of the good news called the gospel. That one's a little bit harder to see, but in Galatians 3.8, Paul says, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. You know, as I was reading the Bible this week, it it's just amazing how consistent God is in his message. I'm going to reread that passage again. I want you to think about God the Son when I read this passage. Okay? Go forth from your country and from your relatives, other from the Trinity, and from your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's a lot of that that could be said about God the Son as well. Out of that same scripture. So it's interesting that we have this promise. Um, that God's going to provide a descendant to Abraham. He's going to pro- he promises to provide a land. And he promises that it will be good news for the people. Um, so, those things develop throughout the Bible. He does begin to dwell in the midst of his people. First it was... Uh, cloud by day and a fire by night. And then, you know, he came and he sat on top of a box to be with his people in a tent. And then they built him a temple. And now, he gives us a deposit that dwells within us, God the Holy Spirit. And so his heart is to be our God and for us to be his people. You take that promise and you think about it. Well, How in the world could a holy and a just God dwell with us, sinful us? So there's another theme that runs up underneath this that actually begins to in play prior to the promise given to Abraham. And that's what a lot of people call the scarlet thread of redemption. Has anybody ever heard of the scarlet thread of redemption? Some of you have. That started way back in the garden when, when the Lord killed an animal to clothe Adam and disobedient Adam and Eve. And we see that thread of redemption run through the Old Testament in you know, putting blood on the, the doorpost to protect his people. The sacrifices. And then the ultimate sacrifice was Christ himself. And so... There's another thing that... That's the only way that God can dwell with His people. Something has to quell His wrath for sin. But the other side of it is, 
how how can we how can we be at peace with God living among us? Think about that. I mean, how can we not be at war with God? Well, that's the theme I want to talk about today. Um, but before I do, I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Nobody's going to do anything to you. Close your eyes. Take a real big, deep breath. Let it out. And just now breathe normally. And keep your eyes closed for just a minute. Okay, did that feel good? You guys just did this one right here. Can you see that? This one. What is that? A rest. A rest. Now, can you play this? Can you play this on the guitar? Is there music here? Is there music there? There's no music there. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> There's no music. There's, there's no music. There's no music here. But without these, there's no melody. And so the key for us in life is to learn God's tune and not forget this part. It's probably why we don't know His ways very well. This is the hard part. For any independent proactive, self-starting American, this is a faith step. Unless the body just falls in the floor. Right? Rest. That's what we want to talk about today. Because there's no way that God can dwell in the midst of us that we can rest with God present without... And appointed rest from him. And so I, I just want to talk about that. You know, this, this subject is kind of really big. And you're going to have homework because I couldn't get through it all. So go ahead and write down your homework is to spend at least 30 minutes. If you can spend three days, that would be wonderful. But 30 minutes at least reading and thinking about Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. Okay. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. We're not going to, we might touch on it today. We may, that's all, but uh, hopefully there'll be enough background that the Lord can just really open up those, those two chapters in a new way with a new faith for each of us. Um, so I want to, I want to look at this, um, Obviously, there are different planes of rest. There's a physical plane, and then there's a spiritual plane. And I'm going to probably pretty much talk about the physical plane today, but the thing is that we always want to jump to the spiritual one and, and rest in God. But if we haven't learned to really master the, the physical one, we're, going to, we're not going to make it the other one, because part of resting in God is resting where you're spending time 
thinking about him and his ways and his word and communing with him. And so um, let's just begin to kind of launch into this because the, the physical rest sits in the realm of time, but it, it, it's two little subgroups that run under it, believe it or not. One is people and one is geography. And so we're going to kind of look at those two things here for a little bit this morning. Um, and this theme also started right at the end of the creative works of God before the promise. And so, wonderful are his ways, O oh God. So God uh, uh, has an appointed time in the Old Testament. And he leads by example in Genesis 2, 2 and 3, it says this. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. It wasn't just blessed, it was sanctified, it was set apart, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So he didn't do nothing else after that. Well, no, he did. You know, because Jesus says in the New Testament, my father is working until now, and I am working. And so, you know, it's not inactivity, but it is rest. And hopefully we can understand the difference between those two as we, as we go forward with this. So he... You know, he's, he leads by example. And then the fourth commandment in Exodus 20 of the Ten Commandments is what? Remember something. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Oh, wow, I wonder what that means. Well, you know, by the time you got to New Testament times, they had a whole list of stuff of what that meant. What was work and what wasn't work. You know, we're not going to go there today, but, you know, God rested. He says, I want my people to rest and I'm going to make it a, and I want it to be a holy day. And it's the kind of thing that's going to set them apart from everybody else. I guess all the other Hittites and Jebusites and they didn't have a day like this, but my people are going to have a day that's a holy day. It's going to make them a holy people, set them apart and make them different. Um, in in uh, Exodus uh, 31, 12, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign the Sabbath is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days work may be done but on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. 
Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. But on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. So why is there a provision for a Sabbath? Or a day, of uh, such a day, or, or an appointed time as a day of rest? Well, the Scriptures go on and tell us why, and I just told you why, if you were really listening to the last three words. But let me say this again. Six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor, so that your ox... And your donkey and your may rest, and the son of your female slave, as well as your stranger, may refresh themselves. Did you catch that in the in the in the previous thing? Since the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Now I never saw that very much in the Bible. Does he need refreshing? The Lord ceased from labor and was refreshed. Now, if He's God and we're man, I wonder if we need to be refreshed any. I kind of think so, you know? It, and it's interesting because you look in the, in the New Testament and um, Jesus is walking along not observing the tra- traditions of man and He's breaking the rules of the Sabbath. So what's His response to that? <coughs> The Sabbath was not made for, but man was made for what purpose? For times of refreshing. Now, can we get more refreshed than being with God and worshiping Him and hearing His Word and being with His people? I mean, do you guys leave here on Sunday just totally destroyed because of the people you were with? <laughs> Don't answer the question. But, you know, it's refreshing to be with people that are like-minded and like-hearted, isn't it? For times of refreshing. He, gives, he, 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 he has an appointed time for this, for all of us. We need it. Now, um, do we need to have rules about Sunday, about keeping attendance and stuff here? I think not. Um, here's the here's the principle of conscience. In Romans fourteen four, it says this: Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another; another regards every day alike. But in light of the scriptures. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. So then each of us will give an account of himself before the Lord. So if you're fully convinced you don't need an appointed time of rest or you don't need an appointed time with God, great. You're going to answer for it before the Lord. Does it have to be today? For everybody? No. 
But there is an appointed time. Today's a great day because you have fellow believers that refresh you. You, you know, you can worship God and we should worship God in the privacy of our own home. But there's something about worshiping God with other people. You know, it's something about worshiping God at a concert of prayer with 2,000 other people. You know, uh, so, you know, whether it's two or 2,000, there's something refreshing about that. So I just would encourage us to hear what God has to say today. So there's a time that God appoints to be a, a, a rest in the physical for his people. Well, what's interesting is because we are his possession and he wants us to be refreshed. Now, what's really interesting is there's a, there was also a Sabbath for the land. Now, I didn't really, if I knew this, I didn't remember it. But the land that God promised to Abraham, and which he gave to the children of Israel, was the land of Canaan. But the Bible says it was his land. It was his land, and he gave it to them. I, I, I read a couple of things about this that just... Um, and, and let me say, I'll say this to, to try to connect this to the spiritual because do you inherit... Are, are we promised an inheritance of land? We're not. What we're promised is an inheritance of life. And so it's not land now. It's life that we're promised. But this... This Moses was an amazing guy. I don't read the last part of the Song of Moses. This is right after they've crossed over the Red Sea. God has delivered them from them. And the very last part of this song says this. Now they've just crossed over and escaped Pharaoh's army. And the last part of his songs, this is what he sings. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord. What a, what a statement of faith and what a prophetic song this is. Until the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. Capital Y. The place, O Lord, where you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. I had not even marched through the wilderness yet. And Moses is proclaiming this. Where was the scripture? Um, Exodus 15, 15b through um, 18. It's the last part of that song of Moses that he sings. So Canaan was to be Israel's inheritance and their resting place. Now, we're going to look at the sabbatical year because the land needed rest too. 
But at the end of uh, Leviticus 25 is a great chapter to also read in this, in this whole process of studying about this. But there is one verse out of that 25th chapter I want to read first. It's Leviticus 25:23. It says this, The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, and you are but aliens and sojourners in the land. I'm giving you the land, but you're aliens and sojourners. Anybody heard that phrase anywhere else in the Bible? Hebrews, who was, a, who was a, a alien and a sojourner? Because they were looking for a better place to live. So even way back then, God had a view because He's the author and finisher of our faith. He knew what the end of the story was. And it's just been really rewarding to read all this stuff about rest in the physical and and see how it translates over into what He's really called us to. And so today is just a really, just a little finger in the water of this theme that runs through the Bible so that it will prepare us for reading those two particular chapters in Hebrews. Um, Let me read this about out of Leviticus 25, about half the chapter for you. The Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, Then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath to the Lord you shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Your harvest after growth you shall not Reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year, etc., etc., etc. So that means the land gets the rest as well. Now, it's really interesting because, as best I can tell, they never had faith for this. There's a scripture later on in the Bible, and I forgot to write it down, but basically, it was either in Isaiah or Jeremiah. The people are sent into exile, and and God states, because you did not give the land a Sabbath, it will remain out of your hands for all its Sabbaths to be fulfilled. It's an amazing that God wanted his land to have a rest. The, the Bible goes on and talks about another kind of rest. For the, it talks about the land, but it really is a rest for the people because um, the land was given rest from war. You know, um, Joshua 11.23 says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to the Israel, according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. And so if people weren't fighting, 
then there was a, a dimension of rest for the people as well. Now, it goes on in Joshua 13, 1 and says this, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years and very much of the land remains to be possessed. And so Joshua with the army conquered the land in general. He gave it to the 12 tribes. And then based on what they had learned and how they had been equipped about conquering, they were to go in and finish possessing their particular area for whatever you know, people groups or people were yet to be conquered. But we know that they didn't do that all over the place. And that was a the thing that turned them from the Lord and turned them to idols later on. Because they didn't go ahead and finish that. Um, you know, if you want to look at that on a spiritual plane, if Canaan is the land and eternal life is ours, and God and Jesus has already won the victory hasn't it? Are there promises and things that He's given us that we are yet to possess? I mean, this is the spiritual parallel to, to this. Are there promises that you, you, you really know that He's spoken to you that you're yet to lay hold of? Um, so we have a land that's at rest. We have a people that's at rest. And once they got to the land, then they weren't wandering anymore. You know, so they rested from their wanderings. So God, God gives this shadow of the spiritual truth all through the Old Testament. And you know, this whole theme of rest began as a command. You're to do this. You're to do this. You're to do this. But it's interesting because then it becomes an invitation. It becomes an invitation to us. And that that invitation is for a different kind of rest. It's for a higher rest. And even the prophets in Isaiah and Jeremiah really ask the people to come into this kind of rest. And and, and listen, to, I'm going to read three, three quick scriptures that kind of give the people's response. Jeremiah 6, 15 through 17. Thus says the Lord... Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient past. Ancient past probably would be the wonderful ways of God. Where the good way is and walk in it. And guess what? And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I said, God, set a watchman over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Isaiah twenty-eight twelve. He who said to them, God, here is rest. Give rest to the weary. And here is repose. But they would not listen. Isaiah 30, 15 and 16. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, in repentance and rest, 
you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Now, what was their response to that in the very next verse? But you were not willing. And you said, the people said, No, for we will flee on horses. God said, Therefore you shall flee. And the people said, And we will ride on swift horses. And God said, Therefore those who pursue you will be swift. And so... You know, there's something about obeying God's appointed time for whatever it is for you and me. Um, If you're really going to get to a higher rest. If we can't be faithful in little things, right here, things we can do, you know, how are we going to really enter into that particular rest? So what was a command then became an invitation. You know, Jesus said... Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will... You mean twice in the same verse? And you will find rest for your soul? Twice in the same verse. You know, when you start reading Hebrews 3 and 4, it was unbelief and disobedience the reason they couldn't enter into this high rest called that God calls my rest. He calls it his rest. God wanted to give the Israelites rest in Canaan, in the promised land. But you know, it was harder to make them believe it than it was for them to possess it. The whole generation couldn't believe it just because of what they saw, except for two two faithful ones, Caleb and Joshua. So, you know, I, I just want to encourage you, you know, this is not to be condemning or convicting, it's to, it's to open our eyes to really what sits underneath the promise of God that He'll dwell with us. But we can never dwell in God's presence and be at rest. Unless we, unless we move into that place in obedience and belief. And so I just really encourage you to, to see that, you know, he, he doesn't change. He's the same, and His message is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if we can lay hold of the truth of, of, of that theme of rest in the Old Testament, which He laid out even before the promise came, um, that 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 will propel us to have a faith for a higher rest that He calls us to. And what was a command that now is an an invitation to us. And so, I just kind of want to lay that out this morning for you uh, and and really encourage you. Take some time, sometime to read those two verses and I I think, you know, it would just really propel you into a real place of laying hold of this part of the promise and how important it is, the physical is still important in order to achieve the spiritual part that he's calling us to. Okay? Take questions. I've already told you everything I know up to this point. But yes, we can have questions, we can have discussion. <laughs>
That's great, Scott. Just close your eyes. It's your appointed time. And rest. <laughs> Anybody have any questions or comments, thoughts, things that, wow. You're welcome. Thank God. He's the one that brings us understanding. It's, it's been there all 30-some years I've been reading it. Just taking the time to really dig in, you know. Now is the 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 faith part is applying it. He's really learning to, to rest in God in, in every dimension that he calls us to. You know. And we want the music of our life to be a melody. And for that to be pleasing, it has to have his appointed rest in there. And as you notice, some of them will be longer than others, whether it's a one or five or six beat or ever how that goes with that but um, you know one of the scriptures that came to me this morning was uh, out of Proverbs about um, how much better it was to dwell in the corner of a roof than with a certain kind of person because they give you no rest (laughs) a contentious woman if Greg was here I'd get an amen off that but but, um, you know what it's like if there's no rest the incessant talker, uh, the you know, there's all kind of examples of that. The song that just plays on and there's no rest. If you listen to it enough times, you'd get tired of it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Okay. Preston, I have a quick question. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so quick. Maybe we should ask it another time. But, uh, the scarlet thread of redemption that you mentioned, mm-hmm. is that a phrase that comes from a, a, a creed? It comes from Tia's uh, King James Version Bible that's probably 35 years old. <laughs> I can, uh, I can, it's, it's uh, I don't think you hear about it much now, but it is the, it is the redemptive pass that, that, a thread that passes through the message of the Old Testament until it's fulfilled in Christ. I mean, even one of those scriptures, um, in the year of Jubilee, the 50th year, the land was to revert back to its original owner so that the land could be redeemed. And so there's this whole thought of redemption that was in God's mind and heart at the beginning, at the very beginning. Okay, Bill. Y'all look on page 38.